What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine, and this is episode 99. And you would think that after 99 episodes, 99 interviews, that I would be good, better at recording an intro and an outro. And yet here I am. I think this is my third or fourth attempt at getting this right. So we're going to see how this one goes. But thank you for tuning in. If you haven't, please take a quick second to subscribe rate, review, like, comment, all of the good things, wherever you're listening, it means the world to me. Um, For those of you joining for the first time, uh, my goal here is growth through story, strength through community. So as we start to roll some of these interviews, or as we roll these interviews, you're going to find that I don't really talk a whole lot about myself. I've recorded a couple episodes here and there, um, interjected some of my personal experiences, but really my, my goal here is to have the interviewee share their life story in a way that relates to you, uh, in a way that gets you excited, hopefully find uh, some motivation, a new way of thinking, uh, maybe a different path to, to kind of continue marching forward with, or maybe finding a community to join in on. And really, my goal is uh, really to help tap into some of these folks' life experiences to hopefully get you excited about something. You know, I've met a lot of people doing things that I didn't know were either career paths or interests or hobbies that, you know, has really kind of lent my uh my view of the world to grow and expand significantly over the past year. So please, like I said, like, rate, subscribe to the show. Um, also, if you're big on the Instagrams, uh, please follow me on the Instagrams. Um, it's just the Vanguard Project with periods periods in between. I'll make sure that's linked in the episode description. And also, I have merch. So if you need new shirts or sweatshirts or just like what's going on, please uh, hit up VanguardStories.com, follow the links, get some merch, and uh, you know, tag me. I want to see what the heck's going on. See what crazy kind of shenanigans you're getting into because you know uh backpacking season is still there still going on so if you're heading out or if you're fishing i recently picked up fly fishing shout out to my buddy creighton over at scout arms because holy crap i'm addicted um but then also hunting season's coming up really really quick so be sure to grab some stuff tag me in it i'd love to see what y'all are up to and continue growing the show and this podcast and uh, hopefully the community but um getting into today's episode i am so thankful to have sat down with mr rob gutierrez he is an amazing dude, and I don't want to take away any of what he has to say by you know rambling on too much because he's a very insightful human being. He's lived a crazy life and just has a lot of very good words um, as far as growth mindset and uh, continuing to push forward even when things are honestly when it seems like there's nothing left. And so I'm really thankful to have met Mr. Rob and uh, really thankful that he took some time with me to sit down and kind of give give his story and insight. So um, without further ado, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Everly Stock. And Everly Stock is based out of Boise, which is uh, real close to my hometown. And I'm very thankful for these guys because they've helped me get connected to a lot of these folks, including Mr. Rob today. And uh, I use a lot of their gear. Um, they've got, so they're a big uh, hunting military EDC uh, manufacturer in terms of packs and technical gear. And so this past weekend, I actually went out fishing. I was out fly fishing and it was like 96 degrees, which for me is really, really hot. I don't know if I'm a wuss. I don't know how many of y'all there are down in Arizona, but 96 is hot. And I was out fishing 93. I don't know. It was hot regardless. I was out fishing, fly fishing, and um, I didn't want to get fried and I didn't want to get bit by all those freaking bugs. And so I was out in my Bruno hoodie. And, uh, so for those of you that don't know, the Bruno hoodie is their lightweight four-way stretch hoodie, um, that they've gotten a couple different camo patterns and everything. They've got little thumb holes to keep, uh, slide your fingers through. So keep the hand or the sun off the back of your hands. And this thing 
was the bee's knees. I mean, I was out there, I had my hood up, I was out there with it, you know, kind of zipped up over my hat underneath my waders, and I was just fishing. And honestly, I was about as happy as I could be just catching. I couldn't catch, there was, oh my gosh, there was some fat little bass out there that those little bastards wanted nothing to do with me, but I still got a, got a couple, you know, 10 to 12 inch fish and just had a wonderful time. But without digressing too far down that rabbit hole, the Bruno hoodie was phenomenal because I sweat a whole heck of a lot, but it felt like it kind of kept it off my body for the most part, wicked everything away, it was light enough to keep the sun off, but not add extra, like a, a layer of thermal, like it wasn't like hot for me. Um, but Give Tucker a call at the retail store. Uh, I will link their phone number in the episode description. Let them know that the Vanguard podcast sent you. Get hooked up. And then also be sure and check out some of the new gear that they dropped for this hunting season, including the Puffies. I was playing with them this past weekend in the retail store. And your boy's going to go get some. So be sure to give them a call. Uh, let them know the Vanguard podcast sent you. But I'm going to stop talking. And we're going to roll an awesome episode with Mr. Rob Gutierrez. <laughs> What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. My name is Austin Jardine, and I'm really excited for today's episode because I sat down, or I'm sitting down now with Mr. Rob Gutierrez, and he and I bumped shoulders a couple of weeks ago at the uh, the Everly Stock event, and I'm really excited because I was fortunate enough to hear your story, and I think a little bit more detail uh, than you've given in some cases. At least that's kind of what it sounded like, and I'm I'm really honored, man, that you uh, reached out and were willing to sit down and, and chat with me. So if you don't mind, maybe introducing yourself a little bit and uh, we'll start chatting and I'll ask questions and interrupt you and maybe you get to get to know you and your story and kind of what got you through a little bit better. Yeah, man. Um, super appreciate to to be on this and get an opportunity to talk to you again. Um, Rob Gutierrez, um, right now I'm still an active duty uh, Air Force member. Um, uh, Chief Master Sergeant. Um, I'm the uh, Major Command Functional Manager for all of uh, Combat Control and uh, essentially responsible for the manpower and, and production and um, oversight on, on a lot of the training pipelines to make combat controllers in the Air Force um, here in Texas. And it's, uh, it's been a good, um, just about hit 20 years real soon. And uh, I mean, it's just been a, it's been a good ride, so. I'm just here to hang out and chit chat with you. <laughs> 20 years. That's a long time, man. It is. And it goes by really fast. Yeah, I, I believe it. So I know, and this might be kind of duplicative for uh, kind of our conversation, not necessarily for the recording, but do you mind talking about why the Air Force, how you got into it, you know, what led you down, you know, military service? So, um, man, I was... Uh, I grew up in, in, in National City, California. Um, I usually say San Diego because nobody knows about National City because this is such a small little city on the coast right there um, and uh, in Southern California. I mean, I grew up in a regular like household, mom, dad, um, siblings, brothers and sisters, um, went to school, played sports. Um, at an early age, I, I um, uh, got into like martial arts and stuff like that and, and kind of got a knack for um, sometimes like throwing fists and stuff like that. <laughs> um, 
but I grew up in a household where like hard work was, was it like I had a, I had a really good example. My dad hustled his, he hustled his tail off for everybody. Um, my mom was super, super awesome as, as can be. I'm a huge mama's boy. So, um, kind of grew up that way with my brothers and sisters, you know, kind of like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, originally I wanted to, to be a, a car painter, like a, an actual painter like my dad and uh um graduated high school and, and throughout that time he was teaching me the trade and things like that and, and uh kind of figured out that i was like okay well you know this isn't the only thing in life and maybe try something else and i was was pretty active and um athletic in most cases um so i just went out and got another job as a as a meter reader for senior gas and electric um the electric company down there and, and it seemed pretty cool because, man, really, I was just read meters all day, like gas and electric meters, like from house to house all day, block to block, street to street, um, sometimes getting chased by dogs, people angry about their bills. And I'm like, would always be like, hey, man, I don't I don't make the prices. I just read the meters. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, was trying to understand a whole bunch of things. And then uh, I'm just like every other American that thought this on September 11th, um, I woke up from my shift and it was, you know, super early and I was the only small TV I had in my apartment and I just kind of saw what was going on and I was just like super upset and at that point I was like you know what in my head I was just like I'm pretty sure I don't know you know what constitutes really war but I'm pretty sure I had a feeling like this was it and at the time too I had no real direction I was trying to figure everything else in, out in life and like you know, just scraping by, man, and going, okay, well, like, I put all those thoughts aside and was like, this is what I want to go do, so I basically just called in and said, hey, I'm gonna go join the service, you guys to see what's going on, on TV, and they're just like, yeah, you still got to come to work, man, I was just like, no, no, really, I'm not coming to work, and I'm, I'm literally gonna go join, and they're like, you, you can't do that, like, and I was just like, 100%, I can't, I can totally do whatever I want, like, I quit, so they're like, you're gonna quit, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to a recruiter's office. And in my head, I'm thinking, man, they're going to shit me out like in no time, you know? Um, so basically just like quit my job right then there. And then I drove over to this recruiting station in my city and uh, like everything was shut down. Like there was nobody was open. And I, so I pulled up thinking, you know, man, this is it. I'm going to have, I'm going to talk to all these recruiters probably. I'm going to join, I'm going to join one and, you know, um, just this different like thought process, how it was going to go. And they were like closed. So I was like, Oh man, I quit my job and nobody's here. So I got out of my, like my pickup truck. And I kind of looked over and I saw this dude like bebopping in and he had a backpack in hand, but he started walking to the air force one um, office. And I was like, Hey man, I was like, you, you guys hiring? He's like, we're always hiring. I was like, sweet dude. I just quit my job, man. And, <laughs> And I, I need a job. And he's like, I got plenty of jobs. And I was like, cool, man. So I was talking about the door and he's opening it up and he's like, give me a second. He's like, what do you want to do? I was like, man, I want to go fight. I was like, I just saw what's happened on TV. I want to go fight. And he's, you know, as the air force is like, well, I mean, we fight, but you know, it is the air force. So we do a lot. Of, there's a lot of other jobs. And I was just like, yeah, man, no, I, I literally want to go fight and nobody else is um, like open. So what do you got? um he goes so he walks me in see these pamphlets and 
and he goes, man, I got two jobs at fight. He goes, these guys here, um, they rescue people and they're like medics and they do all kinds of like, like they rescue down pilots and stuff like that. They're called pararescue. They're called PJs. He's like, and then we have these other guys here and they land aircraft like in just anywhere, like, you know, airfields. He goes like just desert areas, the water. And, and I was just like, I go, but do they fight? And he goes, oh yeah. He's like, and, and back then combat control wasn't like a super known piece. So, and it still isn't really. Um, and he goes, I'm pretty sure they drop bombs too. And I'm like, so I don't have to like rescue nobody. And he's like, no, they just go like, drop bombs and land aircraft. I'm like, deal. I'm in. He goes, this one. I'm like, yeah. He's like, Hey man, he goes, I'll be honest with you. He goes, I've never, he's like, I've been here for, for a couple of years and I've never seen anybody make it. And I was like, okay, like, sure. Let's try. He goes, you got to take this, this PT test. And I was like a PT test. Yeah. He's like, you know, like a, like a physical exercise test. I'm like, sure. Okay. So I'm, I'm pretty fit. Cause like when you're, when you're a meter reader, you're doing like six, seven miles a day sometimes it, it ranges and, and it's either hills and you're running and you're running from like house to house and it just keeps you in shape. Um, and I used to do this to go to the gym, like anybody else, you know, cause I'm at this point, I'm like 21 years old. Um, I stayed fit and I used to go riding, you know, down in a scripts in La Jolla or Imperial beach and stuff like that. And uh, so I could swim. So he's like, yeah, man, schedule him for this, this test. Took it like three days later. Man, I did all the calisthenics. I ran was the run was easy because I just ran all the time, anyways. And then I failed the swim. And he's like, dude, you can't take it again until you learn how to swim better. And I was exhausted. I was like, dude, okay. But at that point, I knew a job, a truck, and a lot of pride. So I went back home and I was like, hey, um, man, I didn't make it for this one piece. So I got to train and they're gonna let me come back like in a couple months and try again. So I was like scraping by, went back to an old job, like a in-between job that I had at a, at a restaurant and just basically kind of almost like lived in my truck and there's near the municipal pool, like begging to, for them to teach me how to swim. So I was like cleaning bathrooms, like doing anything I could just so they would teach me. And then they basically taught me how to swim and got my time down and then went back and took it, skedaddled. I was gone, man. So um, that's essentially like my entrance to the service it was really based on because man i was really po'd i was i was pretty pissed off and yeah. i wanted to go fight so a couple questions coming out of that then so it's it's interesting because it kind of sounded like you could have followed your dad's footsteps more or less right and gone into painting family trade whatever the case may be what was it like for you to step out of that and kind of more or less break the mold to go do what you wanted to do? Man, when I look back at it now, um, you know, the whole risk versus reward, right? And at the time, it was tough because no one in my family had ever left. Like, I was the first one, like, taken off, really, to go away. And secondly, with the intention knowing like, man, and I don't know what it was, but like I said, when I grew up, I took martial arts, right? And it was a very disciplined type of 
Taekwondo school where everything was kind of ran like the military. So I just had that like feeling to go do something. And it was more of a, um, I guess you would say like, I want to go do something better than, than what I have. And I knew I could probably, because I'll be honest, my dad is a, was a, was and is probably the best car painter I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of cars over my life and still to this day, I'm like, nah, my dad's way better. And it was something that I could have went into. And he kind of was like, you know, we talked about it and he was just like, you got to go do what you got to do, man. And he told me, he's like, you're a grown man. You make your decisions. Whatever you do, you stick with it, finish it out. And they honestly, growing up, they never let me quit anything. Cause there were some sports I did. And I'm like, this sport sucks. And he was like, you won't finish the season. You won't. A, because they're like, we paid for it if you're going to finish it. Um, but B, like, he's like, we don't quit. Just, you don't quit. I'm like, okay. So it was the whole, like, and then it's, at that time, like, I had more of, like, a like a moral um, problem, I guess you would say, to solve. Was do I leave and maybe upset them and my family and then leave home and they're always going to worry? Or do I go chase something that, you know, who knows, man, you could, you could die. And um, I don't know, man, I just had a call and I felt like it was time to go. So I just made a decision and stuck with it and decided to leave, even though, you know, it probably could have hurt their feelings and stuff like that. But I mean, they're my family. They were going to love me regardless. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a pretty hard dynamic, right? I feel like a lot of people face that where, they might want to go do something, but don't want to hurt feelings. So in maybe the same vein of that, how, what, and I don't know how I want to ask this, but like what pushed you over the edge to say, Hey, I'm going to face this moral problem. And it's almost not selfishly, but, but still kind of selfishly and say, Hey, I want to go do this for myself. How did you convince yourself to go? Um. I guess you would say at that point in my life, I felt that, like I said, I had no direction. And I felt that if I, if I went and did something that would A, make me happy, B, challenge me, and then C, which was really one of the most important things to myself, was to make my family and my parents my sister and my brothers like super proud of me then I think it's worth it because and, and we'll talk about it a little bit later like we see candidates and I always ask them like what is your why like why are you here and I ask them and they tell me their why and that was my why was to figure out like go do something and make them proud I because at the end of the day they're still gonna be I could have been the best like gardener or like mechanic or whatever the case is still would have been proud right of me because they're my parents you know um but I wanted to excel at something and I wanted to be challenged and I thought this was the way like this was the the right way to go so I took it okay no I like that I've heard what is your why that's a is it Simon Sinek 
Yeah. I think he's got the book. Yep. Okay. So then going the Air Force route was almost by virtue of just them being open, right? Combat controller was uh, kind of the mystique understanding that there was going to be the combat route, right? What about fighting or going into war and having a combat role was most appealing? I would say the most appealing thing, especially throughout the pipeline, was understanding the impact that that uh, that this profession and that this you know career field in the Air Force would have. I didn't really truly realize until way later how important it would be. Um, but throughout the pipeline, you have instructors and things like that, and obviously they would push you and like just grind you out until you know they would just literally try to grind you out to submission and. I think it was the fact that like, I was just like me and a bunch of these were just either too stupid <laughs> to quit or just, just didn't care. And, and, and I had that reasoning too. Like I could never face my family or as an older brother to my younger siblings, like tell them, man, I quit. Like, yeah, I gave up. Like, I just didn't have it in me. It just it wasn't something that I could go back. I would feel very just like I let them down. So there was no point. There was like once, and like um, we say it within my within my profession, and other ones would say, you know, the term like "burn the boats, man," like burn them, because once you hit ground, and, and it's more of based off like Viking and um, culture. They get to a place, they burn the boats. There's no other direction than forward. That's it. There's no turning around. You know, um, so. It was like, I'm already in it, I'm moving forward. I started learning, understanding, listening to the instructors and they would tell us like what was going on, you know, to, to a certain degree of unclassified stuff. And they talk about like how this combat controller was doing this and this one was doing that and how effective they were. And basically where I heard, first heard the term force multiplier and how it's, they'd say, hey, just one guy would change the battlefield with a radio, just one guy stronger than any weapon system out there just one guy with a radio talking to jets and bombers would change the landscape of you know of the fight and it was super motivating to hear that it was super motivating to read because then they make you read about stuff and i would read about individuals and then there was just you know stories coming out um and hearing about these guys that were going in with these sf teams into afghanistan and how impactful they were, you know what I mean? And then later on meeting them and understanding how awesome it was and then listening to their recollection and their story, how they did it, and it was just even more motivating, so. Yeah, okay. So I don't come from a military or law enforcement background. So I kind of ask a lot of these questions from really just understanding and wanting to know kind of how you made it through some of these things. But from the perspective of impact, you know, as your time or in your time as a combat controller, what is the greatest impact that you feel that you were able to go make most proud of things that you've learned that you're like, holy shit, I never thought that I would have gone through X, Y, or Z thing. Man, there's a couple of those in a couple of different instances, man. Um, so first impact was like, like getting through the pipeline, right. And then going to a team and then understanding through that team, 
like the real life, like the real profession, the real life that comes along with being an operator. Cause it's a lifestyle too. It's not just like you go to your average nine to five job, you know, it's a profession. You live, eat, breathe, like being an operator, being a combat controller, like understanding technology, radios, learning to communicate more effectively, um, using certain terminology and things like that. And then, um, you know, my, my first deployment was like super impactful because, um, you know, you, and, and I don't know if everyone thinks this way, but like you train all that time. And at the time it's it like almost two years to become a combat controller and full up plus another year of like additional skills training and then getting your JTAC qualification um, to be a, to basically to call airstrikes and, and things like that and being a full up combat controller, land aircraft and austere airfields and do surveys and stuff like that. And my actual first, like you train for all these moments, right? And you train over and over and over iterations, night iterations, day iterations, like stair-step those iterations to, to get to a certain level so you feel comfortable with it. Um, so when you, they, you know, when they send you out by yourself and you get attached to this team, and for like myself with, with, with an ODA out there and we're in Eastern Afghanistan and uh, you're like, you're nervous and, and all these things. And then, man, first time it kicks off, like it just like snaps, like it, everything comes into play. And, you know, in a training setting, whatever you're in your home base or whatever the case, like there, you can, you can say, oh man, I messed this up and turn around and, and redo it again. Well, you don't get any redos out there in combat, man. So everything is just like the lights turn on, everything's focused, and everyone's looking at you to do some stuff. And, and we had an instance where, um, man, we took um, we took a significant to us and, and the team I was with a significant casualty, um, in which one of our teammates was killed in action, and then it was just. Everything had changed from, you know, we're still going to complete the mission, but the focus is to recover, to recover our teammate. And, um, man, the impact of, like, understanding with when you're with your teammates, you know, because you build a different bond with certain individuals and certain um, teammates when you go to war, that is, <clears throat> it's, like, irreplaceable you become closer than anything else because you're all you have to rely on. There's no one else to come get you. There's no one else going to come save you. And you literally have each other and you got to be a team player. And I remember um, for that instance, because that was the first time a teammate of mine had been killed um, in action. And I could see him like laying in this open area where we got caught in a V-size ambush. And the acts that he did before that to let us know and all the things about being a teammate and working as a team and, and putting, putting the team before yourself. And for him, he lost his life, you know, sacrificing himself for us. And, you know, the, how difficult it was basically to like, for me to understand, like at this point, I already knew like it was hot, like we were hot, we're, we're in it. But when you lose a teammate, how much more it impacts you? Cause it can do two things. Like you can end up doing like, which happened to me initially was you become oriented more to like a soda straw where you're looking at everything from 
like a very close point of view like this. Um, and all I can focus on is him and protecting his body and literally just pounding the enemy as much as I can. Um, and for a teammate to come and say, hey, man, like, I need you to take a step back. And my buddy's name is Nick. And he was like, I need you to think real quick. And man, that's not going to help us right now. We need to be more strategic when we fight these guys to go get Robbie. And I was so angry at the point. And I'm a lot younger at this time. So I was just like, now nah, I'm in, you know, trying to gather my, like, gather my thoughts and understand it and talk to him. And like, and I told him, I was like, I'm going to vaporize this whole valley. Like I'm going to, it's, it's all going to be on fire. And he's like, that's not going to help us right now. We need to focus on clearing a path, taking out those targets, look beyond that, look at the high, you know, and their experience too. So they were super helpful. And then to sit back and go, you're right. Like, okay. And the impact of like never leaving a teammate behind ever because we got to bring them home. You know, the, those other bad guys, like, we'll see them again. They'll just hide and we'll see them again. But if we let them take Robbie, we'll never see him again. And it was Robert James Miller, who is actually a posthumously uh, awarded the Medal of Honor. Um, so the focus was to get him and the amount of hurt it that happened to me when I lost a teammate because he was my he was my gunner in my truck so we had built a relationship um but to lose him but to go get him and recover him and then you know get him on the medevac and get him home was like a huge impact to me that mattered more than anything like I I really didn't even care if, if I got shot or whatever the case like didn't care. It only mattered about getting him home. Um, and then also getting the other guys that were wounded home. Um, so that was like the first one. And then, or, or, or a type of like impact. And it seems real minuscule because it's just one person, right? But at the end of the day, it's not that it's just one person. It's just that one person's an American and he's a teammate and it's everything. Like everything matters in that instance. Everything you do only matters to get him home because he's got a mom and dad. He has sisters and brothers that, you know, want their son home. So that was like a, a substantial impact that really just, you know, changed my life, I guess you would say. Um, the second one was later on, um, you know, maturing and, and learning some things and, um, uh, like for, for a little bit, becoming an instructor and seeing some of the guys that I put through and like trying to teach them like the knowledge that I had so they could understand because I remember being at that point and the instructors told me stuff, but I just didn't get it. I, I really didn't understand it that well. And actually teaching them and trying to formulate my words so they can truly understand what's about to happen, um, how it's going to happen, and what's the best way to solve the problem. Uh, and then kind of like consistently teaching them through like certain actions, like, hey, man, 
you know, always tell them like, the harder you train, the better chance of survival. So you better train to the hardest that you can because you don't get another opportunity once you're in the fight. And then seeing those guys progress and where I'm at now, especially now seeing some of them, I mean, one of my troops, I mean, he, he received the Air Force Cross. His, his name is uh, Alexi. Man, I couldn't have been prouder for a troop, you know, in my life. I've seen some other guys that I've seen and because they're operational still, I'm not going to say their names, but watching them progress to where they're at and seeing them mature and reading like sit reps of them when they were down range and doing stuff and going, man, like that is, you know, I helped build that. Like I helped make that and look what they're doing for their country. Super awesome. And the only thing way you can explain, it, I guess, is like when you, like when you have kids and you teach them how to ride a bike and then they finally ride the bike on their own and you're like, super happy about it yeah you know what i mean or um you know with my daughter you know watching her in her first jiu-jitsu match and watching her just destroy another kid and just like you can't re re replace that um that feeling of of fulfillment it's just really hard so um yeah just seeing that stuff go along and understand that it, it impacted something you know um, especially for those operators, like it impacted whatever I taught him. It was enough for him to get it so he can go and save people's lives and take the fight to the enemy and kill them. So. So being a part of the progression of people that are doing amazing things is yep. what I heard yep. as being the next impactful thing. So kind of going back a little bit, one question that I, that I have, and I didn't want to interrupt and this might get personal, but for, for as someone that has lost teammates or people that are close, how did you get through that? And I ask so that if other folks are going through people or going through times where they have lost somebody too, or might even just be worried about somebody, mm -hmm. you know, how did you kind of navigate the emotional stress? And even in that situation, right? I can't even imagine the heightened level of attention, stress, anxiety, like all of the crazy shit going on. How did you kind of navigate that to maintain your own level of coolness? Does that question make sense? Yeah. Um, so in the fight, you know, it's one thing because you, I guess it would say like during the action, um, understand that if you freak out, you're only going to make it worse. Um, and you got a job to do. And the way I look at it sometimes too, is that like, cause he's not the only teammate that I lost, you know what I mean? But understanding that your teammates, you know, and this goes for like any veteran out there. That's, I guess you would say that has, you know, grief or loss, or they saw something happen or, you know, they probably have a little bit of like, um, um, survivor's guilt and stuff like that. Um, that impacts them and they they sit on it and and it just eats them alive is is the fact that you know at the at the end of the day the reality is what i believe is that my teammates would have wanted me to press on since they're on the same 
they're cut from the same cloth that they wouldn't just stop and quit. They just wouldn't just give up. They wouldn't expect you to. Just like you wouldn't expect if something happened to you, like you expect your teammates to continue. There's always a time to grieve and understand that. But at the same time, they're never going to want you just to stop what you're doing and just feel for them. They're going to want you to go press and, and make their sacrifice worth it. Because, you know, and when I say make it worth it, like, man, live your life. Because life's a journey. And we talked about this before. Life's a journey and it's a journey of experiences. And, um, and they would just want you to continue doing your thing. Because they know that that's what made you happy. Just like it was reversed, you'd want them to be happy. And um, that their sacrifice was worth it. And that's what I could like when I think about all my buddies that we lost, um, you know, they would just never, they would, it would actually make them really mad if I just quit. They'd be super pissed off at me. They'll be like, don't be a quitter. Like, because they wouldn't. And the continuation of living your life and, um, and keeping their, keeping their um, keeping their lives alive by saying their names, tell the stories, the good ones, the funny ones, do it. It gets it out and it keeps them alive. You know, um, and we always say this, you keep, you keep your friends that you lost alive by constantly, you know, like you always remember them and you always talk about them. That way they never die. They truly never die. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, for, for instance, in, in, in American history, do you ever think that we'll, that we'll uh, stop saying the word or, or the name of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln? Yeah. Well, they'll always be alive, right? Because we've always got history behind them and the, and, and the things they did for our country. Um, same thing. Your friends, they always stay alive. Just keep saying their name. Say the stories, you know, have the emotion. concept. Yeah. You know, have the emotion. That emotion means that you care, whether it's tears, you know, smiles, laughing, um, you know, making fun of them, you know, how they would make fun of you or whatever the case, like it keeps them alive, man. And you're doing a, you're doing the part. So that's really what would kind of, got me through like a lot of the stuff especially some of the close ones that i knew that we that we lost keeping them alive you just gotta keep them alive man i like that i'm gonna remember that okay so then kind of moving forward and seeing the progression of people being part of their growth keeping people alive both you know metaphorically and really keeping people alive right i mean um, did you always want to go down the instructor path? What led you down the route of becoming the functional manager of uh, combat controllers? Oh, well, it's it just in, in the in the training and education command. Um, 
there's there's a couple of guys I still report to. Um, but um it, really that path was my, my path was a little bit different because um A on the operational world going and doing my deployments and and stuff like that, and then getting severely injured, and then in the meantime to kind of keep me going and get me back on track and stuff, made me they made me an instructor because of the facilities that were close in Florida that could help me to get my to keep me getting me back on status and stuff like that. Um, and then under like from then on, then deploying again after that, after I was healed up and going back, and then um the one of the main reasons I came to the command I'm in now is because um you know after you you get to a certain point where you got to kind of make a decision and this is just my experience everyone's experience is different in the service too on the teams um man I I had this wonderful boy and uh we kind of figured out that he was uh on the autism spectrum and I had this opportunity to continue being on a team and deploying and doing this and stuff, or, you know, make the decision and say, what do I value more? Because where I was living in New Mexico, they just didn't have the services for him. And we wouldn't have got the same type of care there that we've got at some other places, but everything's at a cost, right? If you want something, it's going to come at a cost, some sort of cost. Nothing's free, right? Nobody rides for free. So for me, it was like, okay, well, do I give up my continuous dream? Like, like my goal of being an operator and going to these different units and continuously deploying? Or at that point, do I put and say, you know what? I got to put my son first and get him the care he needs. Hoping at one point, maybe I'll deploy again. Um, but you got to take the job that comes with it, which was, no longer being an instructor, but being more of what's called a group, um, which is an echelon from the squadrons. Then you have a group, then you group, you have a wing. Um, and depending on the wings, you go to numbered air force and the major command. And that was the path because that I took, because I, I just valued, you know, I had to give up my own, my own personal well wanting of wanting to be on a team and wanting to go deploy and do this stuff. And then basically hand them off to my wife and go, Hey, you know, just take care of them. I'll be back. I'll be back in eight months. I'll be back in six months. And then, you know, kind of leave her on her own to handle it. And I was just like, that's just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with doing that because he's my son. So I chose the route that I chose, which was to go to a group, stand up a training group, help, help stand up a training group. And then from there progress into like senior NCO ranks and then get to the position on that because, you know, um, taking care of my son, which in fact made huge progress. I mean, because we have the care here in Texas um, for him, you know, I can never, I'm thankful that I made that decision that I thought that I thought it through and made the right decision. Um, because sometimes in those decisions, man, our egos are too, you know, our, our egos and pride are, are willing to, to over, um, overstep and control um, what's necessary and force us into a, a path that's not good. And I put it all aside and said, okay, well, I'm going to take this route because the goal now is to take care of my son. And I'm super thankful that the Air Force gave me the opportunity to do that. And, and he's at where he's at now because of that. 
do I miss it? No, 100%. But do I know I make an impact? 100% I do. Yeah. So how did you, what was that process of, of checking your ego? Because I, I totally understand that that, that's a, that can be a driving and determining factor, right? Especially I feel like at the ranks that you're running in, right? And kind of the function that you were, you know, that you were operating in, right? Where it would be really easy to be like, yeah, but rather than this is more important, right? How did you differentiate? For me, it was... Um... I would say more of a sacrifice. Like I had to sacrifice the continuation of my operational career for him, which some people would say that's an easy decision. But when you do this for a profession for so long and you have teammates that you know are in the grind, you know they're deploying, they're going out there, you feel like you left them. You feel like you left them hanging. And that's a super tough one to sit there and like contemplate like, man, fuck, I'm never going to get to go and replace someone who needs, who's been there for, you know, six months, hasn't seen his family, you know, probably got, you know, in the gunfight as we speak and all this other stuff. And I'm just going to be here and then I'm going to, I'm going to go to more of a staff role and kind of like, you know, be at home and and kind of just almost have a little bit of regret. And it was a hard thing to balance. Um, because like I said, it's no one can, no one knows the outcome. The outcome is unknown. You know what I mean? It's, it's like saying that, um, you know, anyone can be a genius. And that's not necessarily true because you, you don't know what their capabilities are. You don't know what they've learned or what they can learn. That's all unknown. Um, so it was super scary, but at the same time, it was at the same time I kind of looked at it and I was like, well, this is what's best. And you have to like, kind of like your ego's right here. And then the, the more ethical dilemma that you're in here and which one's going to override which. And on this, in this instance, I was like, the health and the future of my own son was more than what this, you know, could overtake. It was, it was honestly, it was a super tough decision, but at the same time, like it was the best decision. So no regrets. <laughs> okay. So I know that when we were at the out there event, and I think you alluded to this a little bit, um, you had gotten injured, which um, I think I know the story leading up to it, but the recovery of that, right? I believe it was you had gotten shot in the lung. Recovery was a nightmare and a half. Yep. My question, one of the ones that I was thinking of as I was listening was, how did you not give up? It would have been so easy just to recover and live happily thereafter. Um. Man, it was, you know, because at that point in my life, a, a couple of things, a couple of factors like came into play. One was like, in, in brutal honesty, revenge. Because at that point, man, I had already slated, like just crushed in me anytime I could. 
And it was, man, they got me, you know? And I wanted revenge, plain and simple. I wanted to go get back in the fight and be like, no, like, I'm not going to just roll over. Because I thought about it too, is like, you know, over and over again, I would think about it. It's like, I could just, in all honesty, I could have just probably just took a medical retirement and got out. But what would that say? Some people would say, man, that's a smart decision. You went out and did your thing. Others would say, did you have the opportunity to get up and get back into it? And why didn't you? And one of the things, one of my buddies from, um, uh, from one's actually from one's ready, um, Trent, uh, they got a saying, it's called regret as hell. And I never wanted to regret to think like, man, I could have, you know, missed out, you know, I could have, um, regretted, uh, turning the other cheek and like walking away. And I just didn't want to regret it. I wanted to prove to myself that this was not going to, after like everything that happened and all this other stuff, like being wounded and, and staying in the fight and doing what I got to do to, to get my guys out because, you know, it, they relied on me heavily, just like I relied on them. Right. And I didn't want to be a burden. And and that's what, honestly why I just didn't quit. And I felt like if I would have quit and just rolled over, like I would have been a burden. And a burden as in like people would have to carry my weight until I got out and someone had to cover my own deployments and cover my training events and this and that. Like, that's just a burden. And I didn't want to be a burden. I wanted to get back in the fight and get back on the horse. Um. And it's just like what other people have told me. It's not, it's not how you excel, but it's, it's, it's how you excel when you're at your lowest point. And man, I was a pretty damn low point some of those days. Like when you can't move your arm and you can't use it and, you know, and you're thinking about how like life's going to suck and all this other stuff and everything you train to do and, you know, and I'll, and I'll be straight. Like we build, we build warfighters here and we make them strong and we make them strong for a reason. We try to make them as strong as mentally and physically as possible. Cause we don't know who we're going to run into. You want to have the best opportunity to win or the best chance through like preparation. Right. And, um, I just didn't want to set an example that it's okay that if if you get, if you take a licking, you can just bow out. Nah. Cause I kind of, I look back to it too. And it's like, man, when I got shot, I could have just, again, I could have just, I mean, I was, I was wrecked pretty bad. I could have just, when I started seeing blood come my mouth and my nose and everything thinking that, man, I'm probably going to die now, you know, cause I, I thought I took a shot in the armpit. So, um, which is like no time you'll bleed out and you're going to die. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to be a burden. I'm going to get up and fight. I'm going to continue on. and I'm just not going to quit. And that's a model that we have too, is we never quit. And I just didn't have it in me to quit, man. It's just built. It was built throughout like my pipeline and my training. 
um, portions of my foundation of how I grew up, like you just can't quit, you know? Um, I just didn't want to. I just had more in me, so I wanted to go put it out. When you were at those lowest points, was there a particular thing beyond revenge or beyond just not wanting to quit that you were able to draw on to push forward? Like a thought, do it for your family, doing it for your brothers. Was it, was there anything in particular like, this is why I will continue not to be a burden? Yeah, it was for, um, um, I would say it was, man, I, I didn't want to let my teammates down. I just couldn't live with myself. If I would have, I just wouldn't have been able to live with myself. Um, because in actuality, people would have been like, it's okay, man. Like you took a, like you almost, you pretty much, pretty much died a couple of times and you kept going. It's okay. Like to me, it's not. And the thought process in my head was like, get back in the fight. And I got to keep going. Like my kids rely on me, uh, my wife at the time, my teammates. And, you know, looking back and going, you know, some of my personal friends and teammates died and sacrificed themselves. And I have another opportunity. Why waste it? Like why waste it and just go sit in a corner and, and pout? You know what I mean? When I can get up, prove to everyone that thought I was done. Like there was people thought that I was done. And I'm like, nah, I ain't done yet. I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to fight through this and, and move forward. So I did. It was just a continuous thought of like never to be seen as a quitter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's okay. permanent. Yeah, you don't forget that. That goes back to regret as hell, doesn't it? Yep. It's permanent. So one of my favorite questions to ask folks, because I get some really interesting answers, is of all your experience, you know, good, bad, ugly, fun, crazy, wild, what has been maybe the one thing that you look back on or have learned that you're like, holy shit, I wish I would have known this beforehand. Oh. It's kind of a zinger, oh. but it's it's one yeah. that it's, it's kind funny. of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. So check this out. Growing up in San Diego, California, right there in National City, we used to go to the beach all the time, right? And I used to go to Imperial Beach near Silver Strand. And they so happen to run buds right near there. And honestly, I didn't even know in the beginning that I would be a combat diver. Didn't know it, right? And I used to see these dudes running up and down Silver Strand carrying, which now I know are Zodiacs. And I used to be in the ocean with my buddies, with my, uh, my sponge, my bodyboard, just laughing. Like, look at those idiots, man. Why would you? That's so stupid. Like, like just those dudes are getting yelled at, you know what I mean? And getting crushed. We're like, ah, look at that. Look at those idiots. You know what I mean? Those guys are stupid. Why would you carry that stupid boat? You know, just get on the boat and just go in the ocean and paddle, right? And then 
if I would have known <laughs> the the reasoning behind that, you know what I mean? That essentially like three years, two years later, I would have been in the same, the same position just in Herberfield, Florida, off the sound in Navarre, carrying a damn Zodiac with my teammates straight suffering in silence while getting their asses handed to us the whole like pre-dive um, process to prepare for combat dive school. Like if I would have known, I would have been like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. You know what I mean? Cause I thought about it. And I'm like, I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. Why am I here? You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is so, cause those things are heavy, dude. They, they're not light. You know what I mean? And uh, I think back and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know what I mean? Like, Maybe I should have been a pilot. Maybe I should have went to college and got a degree. <laughs> Flew a jet and I would be carrying this stupid raft around. <laughs> That's all. Regret like your life decisions in those moments. Yeah. Like, oh, I should have went to college. And <laughs> pilot, dude, this sucks. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, the suffering and silence with your friends like that is no more greater pleasure um, to suffer in silence with them and just get it done. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, you look back fondly on those like yeah. long after the fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, I think, and I want to be respectful of your time, but another one of my favorite questions and maybe uh, is, um, I guess, again, kind of of all the things that you've learned and known, uh, what are some of, or what is one thing that you don't get asked often enough that you're like, man, I really would like to share this with someone or, or get it out there because it's important to me. Don't get asked a whole lot. Feel like it's worth sharing. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, so one, uh, is, is where people like make assumptions, right? So first, like the first assumption, like, let's just say like, I got to go to a speaking engagement or whatever the case was in the air force. And, some people know me, some people don't, you know, whatever the case. And they read the story in their bio and all this other stuff. And then like they make an assumption right off the bat that I'm like this like six foot three gigantor that was like crushing the enemy with his hands like Conan and stuff like that. And I'm just like this normal five foot, like in the morning, five foot nine, by the end of the day, I'm like five eight. Um, dude that just likes to work out, eat, you know, venison hamburgers and steaks and back straps and drink beer. You know what I mean? Just like his normal dude. But, um, uh, so they make an assumption, right? I wish now, like I tell people like, don't assume because don't assume anything like assume, like assume that everything is going to go against your way and you got to plan for everything. That's one thing. Like assume it's not going to go your way. Like Murphy's law, right? You know, you plan for one thing, but plan, like have three other COAs ready to go. Because um, number one, might not survive contact. Another thing I've learned that I wish I would have told everyone is there's, there's, a, there's a couple things, especially when it comes to teamwork, like you're working in teams or working with people or working with family or whatever the case is that in order for it, in order for the application to be successful, there has to be a couple, th- couple things in place is that First of all, you got to be held accountable to yourself, like be accountable to yourself or have someone hold you accountable. For me, super easy. Guys like my friends, like, like Trent Sigmiller, Jared Petrus, you know, Aaron Love, those guys will hold me accountable, not because they're being jerks, 
Um, that's just, you know, the nature of their character sometimes, you know, can be seen that way, but actually they're really good guys, but, um, but it's like, they will hold me accountable because they care. Right. So put yourself in a group and a team where, you know, or a spouse or, or whatever, where someone will hold you accountable and your actions have to have authenticity. You gotta, like everyone knows when someone does something and it seems really fake, but they also know when it seems to be very sincere, make yourself and your actions sincere. Cause if you have the accountability from someone, you have the sincerity brings you closer to the alliance and the alliance of your team to work together. Then the application will be good. Like the application of what you're trying to achieve will excel. And I wish I would have known that because there's many parts where nobody held me accountable. Cause they were like, Oh, that's just Rob. That's just GZ. And he's got an air force cross and he does everything perfect. Like, no, I don't. And they should have told me, it should have been more of my friends and said, or my superiors or whatever the case, and should have held me accountable more. And I wouldn't have made the mistakes that I made because then the accountability wasn't there. And then my, the authenticity, the sincerity of what I did wasn't as prevalent or maybe half-ass. And then my alliance with them didn't really work out as well. And I wish someone would like, and then the, out, the product didn't come out as good as it could have been. And it's because they held back. Like if you really give a shit about your partners and your teams and stuff like that, like, man, A, hold them accountable, B, make sure it's authentic. And then, you know, when everyone's on the same page like that, that alliance of everyone doing the same thing together and holding each other accountable puts out a good product. It's, it's almost like the difference between feedback and criticism. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Feedback is, feedback is positive, right? Like, hey, man, I really want to give you feedback. Criticism is like, yeah, so uh, with Keep respect, yeah. I'm gonna, I just want to correct you, right? That's a negative context. Um, if you're constantly in a negative context, whatever the case, this shows the insincerity and stuff like that, the authenticity. Man, give positive feedback. Do the right thing. Help them out. You know what I mean? Um and then it'll, it'll work in its place. I wish someone would have told me that before. Because then I would have been able to tell my friends, like, or those individuals, like, are you being for real? Or you just kind of, like, fucking around? Like, man, like, are you holding me accountable? Or are you just kind of just going through the waves? Yeah. Um, you know, so you can really see and refine what you're doing. Because the better, like I said before, like, the better preparation um, is the the more you prepare yourself and constantly, you know, um, go after the processes to make that preparation perfect, it'll come out perfect. Um, and I, I wish I would have known that, especially like at a senior manager level where I'm at now, it's even harder. Like I got to find that. And luckily, like I'm at, I actually work with Trent all the time um, in our positions and he holds me accountable, man. Like, and I'm like, I hate you, Trent, but at the same time, thank you. Because he's right in some instances, just like I do to him. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's super helpful because it's uh, honest. I like that. Accountable, authentic alliance. Yep, for application. For application. Okay. I'm going to remember that. I like that. 
part of uh so I'll be hitting episode 100 in two weeks. And I think I'm going to sit down and actually need to start writing out all of the things that I've learned. And this is part of it, <laughs> you know, is uh, the things that I've gleaned and at some point hope to aspire to apply all of these things that I've learned, you know. And, you know, it's crazy, man. I didn't I didn't learn this. Any kind, I didn't learn that in any kind of like business fashion or anything like that. I learned it through my pastor. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Actually, yeah, I can yeah. really see that. That's, That's funny. Because he's, he's pretty awesome. So and I was like, hmm, I'm going to take that. that. Makes sense. Damn it. You know? <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Well, I, I feel like we've blazed over, I imagine, a whole hell of a lot. But I also want to be respectful of your Monday. Is there anything else that you're like, man, I really want to share, or this is important for me to get out tonight? Um. Yeah, man, there, there's like um, a couple things. Um, man, and like, like we talked about it, life is a journey. You're going to make mistakes. Just don't make the mistakes over and over again. Yeah. Learn, actually learn from the mistake and, and make forward progress. There's going to be ups and downs no matter what. It's how you handle those ups, like with humility and um and pride for the right in the right reason um you know and and share those share those moments with your teammates or whoever because nothing's done solitarily rarely especially in the service rarely are things done like in solo acts it always requires support in some sort and um uh, in regards to like other other veterans that are out there that are looking at it that have issues or 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 feel like like they're on this on this solo trip by themselves, like I, I assure you that you're not. And that's basically like holding a burden. Like if, if they carry a burden, and that burden is heavy. And you can't carry that burden forever. The only way is within your alliance, those other teammates are authentic and hold you accountable that they can take a little bit of your burden to give you a break. And I say that in the context of like, man, if you're struggling, like reach out to your friends. Reach out to the people. If you have no friends, there's so many avenues out there of people that are willing to listen and hear you out. And that help might be what you need to get you to lighten that burden so you don't have to suffer so much. It could be me. I could pick up the phone. You know, it could be anyone. There's, there's a ton of like options out there to get that help. Please do. You're not, they're not alone. Because, I mean, like suicide is rampant. And I just, I understand it because I've been at that low point too, numerous times. And it wasn't until I reached out, like it took the step and reached out and took that burden off me to get the help. Those individuals worked with me to hold me accountable. They were authentic about it. And we built our alliance stronger. And the application of what I was doing came out better. And like, I don't want people to feel 
as if they're they're alone and they're not because they feel they're alone because they feel it's a burden. They don't want to burden their stuff on other people, like their problems. When in fact, there's tons of people. There's regular civilians that feel similar burdens that have gone through things in their in their civilian like life that almost are the same, and they'll match. Um, and I just I want to get that out there to people, like it's. There's no stigma of weakness or whatever the case. Like if you go and you talk to someone about your problems or your issues or things that you've seen or things of trauma that bothers you, that's more pride and ego than anything else. And from someone who has a lot of pride, who's put his ego aside, put my pride aside and went, went and sought help, it's like shocking how much better life is. Because under that stress you make, when you're constantly in that stress and those issues and those burdens you carry, you make bad decisions, man. Because you're only thinking about the immediate release of like, of, of breath. Like, it's, like you're carrying this burden, um, like those strong men, they carry that big, those heavy boulders. Like that's that burden they're carrying. And when you, they're only looking at the immediate, like real quick, like wait again, take a knee for a second. When in fact, if they reach out for help, that burden gets broken into pieces and then hand to someone else. And then they can breathe and take a breath for a longer period of time and then analyze things and then make the right decisions. Not so much emotional decisions, but logical, good decisions to help themselves to eventually take that burden off their hands, then turn around and help somebody else that has that burden. But they already know how to solve it. So that burden isn't really a burden, they're helping. And that's really a, one thing I wanted to get out. Because especially now, man, war, the war, you know, the global war on terror is pretty much, it's never gonna be done, but it's definitely slowed down. And now we're gonna reap the effects. We're gonna sow what we reap. And we're gonna feel those things. And I hope to empower people to understand that, like, man, some of the most ruthless, violent, like, man valorous men that i know that have been on the battlefield at some of the the finest units that the, the service has to offer those guys seek help too we're all human we're not robots we're all human and they do it that means you can too there's nothing bad with it so i just wanted to like get that out there man because i'm hoping one person that does listen to this makes a call and gets help that needs it yeah i appreciate that um of the things that i've kind of come to terms with in doing this is um being vocal about talking about getting help like i've seen therapists and counselors for 15 years now and i'm no stranger to <laughs> you know the woes of life, I suppose you could say, you know, or feelings and thoughts and emotions and, you know, the crazy shit that goes on. But that is something that I have learned in doing this and talking to guys like you is that help is not a far cry away. And, and, and if you are authentic about asking for it, like you were saying, the amount of response and uplift you will get is like humbling and mind-blowing yeah. even from people you don't necessarily know 
You know, it's like you tell somebody, dude, I had a fucked up day. It was a really bad day. I'm not doing so hot. Next thing you know, you get a phone call and you're like, I've only, I've met you once and you're on the phone with me and it's midnight. Like what's going on? So like I echo that sentiment a hundred percent. Yeah. Especially like finding groups or whatever, like man, archery got me into like, helped me with that. And I met other individuals that helped me through archery, through hunting. And now I've, I'm really primarily Bohun and I love it. It is the place that makes me part of the, the happiest just to sling arrows and like, and I'm not that good at it, but I'll get there. But I meet other individuals that do and it's super humbling and it's helpful. Yeah. Find that niche, you know, archery is no joke either. I did it pretty religiously for a year and I never hunted. But I did one of the 3D shoots. Holy shit, that is hard. (laughs) But yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. No, I appreciate you. Thanks for helping me get that platform to talk. And like, man, I'm saying hopefully help somebody, man. Like, yeah, I hope so too. I mean, I'm uh that's why I started this, honestly, is I felt like I was in a good spot that I just met a ton of people, had learned to talk. I had time, you know, it was the COVID years and I had a laptop actually it was, but just started recording and slinging episodes out. And now it's like, all I've got are just stories and lessons and there's no shortage of, no shortage of things to learn, man. It's like, it's funny and like daunting where you're like, which principle am I going to apply today? You know? Yeah. (laughs) So, but anyways, man, um, I'll leave you to it tonight. Um, we'll have to stay in touch and shoot this shit sometime. Um, I'm trying to figure out where, uh, where life takes me next. So we'll see. Hey, we're always hiring. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Rob, thanks again for taking the time, man. I appreciate you sitting down, sharing your story with me and, uh, getting some of your life lessons out there. And, uh, like you said, in the end, um, for those of you that may need help, please feel free to reach out to anybody. And uh, I think you'll be surprised that to know and find out that all of us want to see you happy, healthy, and successful. So with all that being said, uh, please uh, be sure to follow the show, like, rate, subscribe. And uh, otherwise, we will catch you next time. I hope you all have a wonderful week. (laughs) 